Hello, it's Tuesday the 13th of October. My name's John Dennis. Today, the Prime Minister Gordon Brown is to repay more than £12,000 in expenses for cleaning, gardening and maintenance at his second home. Well, it wasn't a great day for Gordon Brown because uh, whatever Gordon Brown's critics may say about him, and there are plenty of those, one thing people do say is this is a man who entered politics because he has a burning desire to deal with social justice, a burning desire to deal with poverty, and absolutely no interest in lining his own pockets. Also today, scientists prove that cancer can be transmitted in the womb. I think this is the first sort of molecular proof that it, that it can, and we've been able to show that at the sort of the DNA level. And Into the Void, the latest artist to fill Tate Modern's Turbine Hall. You get to the edge of this sea container and you're confronted by this black void, effectively. Guardian Daily with John Dennis on guardian.co.uk First, Bill Overton's got the news. Another woman's been charged with child sex offences in the case involving the Little Ted's nursery in Plymouth. She's 39-year-old Tracy Lyons from Portsmouth, who's said to be a mother of eight children herself. She's charged with both sexual abuse and taking indecent photos. Nursery worker Vanessa George and two others have already pleaded guilty to similar offences. The number of young people out of work's reached its highest level in 15 years, according to the TUC. The trade union body warns the government a whole generation risk being left on a job scrap heap. Analysis of unemployment figures shows more than one in three 16- to 24-year-olds have been out of work for at least six months. In France, a physicist working at the Large Hadron Collider has been charged with links to terrorism. He's accused of making contact with al-Qaeda's branch in North Africa. Meanwhile, the US Treasury says al-Qaeda's having trouble with its finances. US terrorist finance specialists say the organisations made several appeals for funds this year. However, the Taliban in Afghanistan has plenty of money from trading in drugs, it's believed. Michael Jackson's new song, heard for the first time yesterday, isn't really his. The administrators of his estate admit it was co-written with singer Paul Anker back in 1983 under the title I Never Heard and eventually recorded by a Puerto Rican singer. It's been agreed Paul Anker will get half the profits. And Bollywood's coming to Buckingham Palace this evening. The Queen's hosting a reception for leaders of the Indian community. She has invited the Nutkut Dance Company to put on a show. A huge domed red canopy will be erected in the Palace Ballroom for the performance. The main story on this morning's front pages is MPs' expenses. The focus is on Gordon Brown having to pay back more than £12,000. The Telegraph says he claimed too much for gardening and cleaning and charged twice for a £1,300 decorating bill. The Independent caption to photos of all three main party leaders reads, They're all in it together and talks of a new expenses scandal that leaves Westminster reeling. The Mail calls it payback time as the expenses watchdog MPs thought was a patsy bears his teeth and orders them to repay thousands. But our paper goes on to report there's growing anger among MPs because the outside auditor imposed new spending rules and had gone beyond his remit. And the Express still thinks MPs get away with murder because Jackie Smith got £116,000 but pays back nothing. The paper reckons there's a furious public backlash because MPs are trying to avoid repaying hundreds of thousands in fiddled expenses. The Sun gives its lead to Boyzone Stephen Gately's sudden death. It quotes a Bulgarian friend who was in the star's home that night, saying it was he who found the body. He says, I found Stephen pale and cold. And the Mirror puts the latest arrest in the paedophile case connected to the Plymouth Nursery on its front page. Its headline reads, Nursery Pedos, Mum of Eight Charged. There's more news and sport throughout the day at guardian.co.uk. Gordon Brown has been asked to repay more than £12,000 in expenses for cleaning, gardening and maintenance at his second home.
The repayment came after the auditor Sir Thomas Legg wrote to all MPs as part of his inquiry into expenses paid out over the past five years. Our chief political correspondent, Nicholas Watt, is in the Guardian's Westminster office. Well, it wasn't a great day for Gordon Brown because uh, whatever Gordon Brown's critics may say about him, and there are plenty of those, one thing people do say is this is a man who entered politics because he has a burning desire to deal with social justice, a burning desire to deal with poverty, and absolutely no interest in lining his own pockets. The upshot is, though, that he has to repay £12,500 in expenses. Now, the difficulty for the Prime Minister and for everyone else is that he didn't break the rules at the time. What has happened is that after the expenses furore in the summer, the House of Commons authorities knew they needed to clean up their act, and they brought in a chap called Sir Thomas Legg, a former permanent secretary at the Lord Chancellor's Department, to say, how did we do... Did we abuse the rules? Please give us a clean bill of health or tell us if we've gone wrong. And what Sir Thomas Legg has done is he appears to have extended his remit. And he said there may be, as there was, about a £20,000 ability of MPs to claim what's known as the ACA, the additional cost allowance, on their second homes. And you could, in a sense, claim what you wanted as long as you could prove uh, that you'd made claims. You could claim whatever you like, really, within that £20,000. Uh, What Sir Thomas Legg has done is he has introduced individual caps in particular areas. For example, there's a £2,000 cap on cleaning. That's all cleaning, dry cleaning, window cleaning, every sort of cleaning. And a £1,000 cap on gardening. And what happened is that Gordon Brown was completely within the overall limit. But on those individual areas, he exceeded the limit. And Sir Thomas Legg said, you need to repay that money. And Gordon Brown isn't the only senior politician to receive a letter from Sir Thomas Legg. David Cameron and Nick Clegg also got them. That's right. Nick Clegg has also fallen foul of these new rules, although it's a slightly lower sum of money. He's got to pay back £910. And that's because over a three-year period, he made a claim for gardening of £3,910. You're only allowed £1,000 a year. So that's therefore £910 more. David Cameron appears to have got off lightly. All he's been asked by Sir Thomas Legg is, please, could you provide me um, some of your mortgage interest payment details? And this was because uh, when uh, the Conservatives introduced their own scrutiny panel, uh, this recommended that David Cameron should pay back, I think it was £218 um, for an oversight uh, on his mortgage in uh, 2006. And Sir Thomas Legg says, uh, uh, I'd like to see the uh, the mortgage, uh, your mortgage uh, bill for that period just to check that it's all fine. How much unhappiness is there at Westminster, Nick, about this retrospective rule changing by Sir Thomas Legg? There is a great deal of unhappiness uh, about the way that Sir Thomas Legg appears to have changed the rules retrospectively. Uh, The Speaker, John Burkow, published uh, a letter yesterday saying uh, that Sir Thomas Legg uh, had uh, been asked to look at the rules as they stood at the time. Nick Clegg said there were questions over the fairness uh, of the system uh, and other uh, Labour sources are talking about the system being uh, arbitrary. But they are all agreed on one thing. They've got to fall in line. They've got to accept Legg. MPs have three weeks if they want to engage in a correspondence with leg but the message from all party leaders is you mps have got to accept what he says and gordon brown in a minute to ministers issued last night essentially said to ministers accept leg or you lose your job well one minister of course who did lose their job over this jackie smith the former home secretary she was forced to apologize to mps yesterday that's right uh, a difficult moment uh, for jackie smith this was over the designation of her house 
she claimed uh, that her primary residence was in London, her secondary residence was in her constituency, and therefore she was entitled to make claims, our old friend the additional cost allowance, on the constituency home. And essentially what the report said is, well, that was the family home. You seem to spend quite a lot of time there, so not quite sure the designation was right. So, uh, yes, she had to make a personal statement to the House of Commons. I want to apologise unreservedly to the House, as I have to my constituents, for wrongly claiming for the cost of films alongside my broadband and cable connection. This claim should never have been made, and as the committee notes, I paid back the claim in full as soon as it was brought to my attention. Jackie Smith, and that was Nick Watt reporting from Westminster. And there's full coverage today at guardian.co.uk slash politics. Also on The Guardian's website today, Zan Brooks on 30 years of the sci-fi horror classic Alien. That's at guardian.co.uk slash film. The death of the yellow pages. We look at that at guardian.co.uk slash media. And we launch a new competition for children. Kids are being challenged to adapt an extract of Terry Pratchett's novel Nation and stick it on YouTube. Find out how to enter and get some tips on winning from Philip Pullman and Michael Morpurgo at guardian.co.uk slash arts. Cancer can be passed from mother to fetus in the womb. That's what scientists have established after investigating the birth of a baby to a Japanese woman with leukaemia. Dr Tony Ford is from the Institute of Cancer Research at the University of London. I think there's been about 30 reported cases in the last 100 or so years and a lot of people have speculated that this transfer might happen, but I think this is the first sort of molecular proof that it, that it can, and we've been able to show that at the sort of the DNA level. So, how, how did uh, you and your team um, solve this mystery? Well, this this, this was a, a collaboration with some colleagues in in Japan who um, had an eleven month old girl uh, admitted to the to the, the clinic with a, a big tumor on the on the on the right cheek, and initially they thought this was going to be a solid uh, tumor of a different type, and and the father then told them that his wife had died um, soon after the delivery of the baby with with leukemia, and then that, that sort of um, set the, the um, Japanese uh, clinicians thinking that this may well be initially they thought it was going to be a cancer prone family but then on doing the diagnostics of the cheek they, they actually uh, surprisingly found that it was a, a lymphoma which gave them the idea that it might have come from the mum and then by doing sort of molecular um, diagnostic techniques on the, the uh, child's tumour they were able to um, show that it had similarities at least to, to the mother's leukemia and then here in the UK we've been able to uh, confirm that by um, a, m- a more molecular um, diagnosis and and, uh, and research. So it's the difference between a child actually in- inheriting uh, susceptibility towards cancer and a, a cancer cell actually travelling through the womb from the mother to the child? The, the, the initial um, event if you like has happened in the mum probably uh, while she was pregnant and this has given rise to the mother's leukemia and by um, by backtracking that chromosome translocation that's specific to the mother, we've been able to show that it's exactly the same cell, or at least um, initiating cell, that's, that's uh, caused the uh, tumour in the, in the child. And um, what does this discovery mean for future cancer research? It, it's, it's really um, a, a proving that, um, something that's perplexed uh, scientists for, for a long time, that it's often been, often been thought that... Um, mother and infant can share the same cancer but that's never been able to be proven and then in this um, study we've been able to prove that molecularly that it's exactly the same cell that's come through the placenta into the child and and caused a, a secondary cancer if you like in the child. 
and in, in this case by evading the, the child's immune system because it wouldn't normally happen. Dr Tony Ford. My name's John Dennis. Coming up in Guardian Daily, how Hugo Chavez uses Venezuela's legal system to silence his political opponents. There is a, a growing trend of, an, of analysts uh, who feel that um, there's been a whole series of events in Venezuela over the last 12 months which adds up to an, an authoritarian drift. First, FreeCycle allows internet users to offer their unwanted items to strangers rather than dumping them. It originated in the States, but it's been hugely popular in the UK. But now, British users have formed a breakaway group accusing the American founder of control freakery. With the details is The Guardian's Sam Jones. Well, FreeCycle is a sort of very environmentally responsibly recycling site that was set up uh, seven years ago by an American chap called Darren Beale. Um, And he had the brainwave one day that instead of just uh, dumping stuff or paying someone uh, for something you wanted, why not give it up on the internet, say... I'm offering my roof tiles that I no longer need. If you want them, come to my house, pick them up. It's environmentally friendly, it's cheap, and it keeps stuff out of landfill. And this is what you did, Sam. Your roof tiles are now somewhere in France. I believe so. I'm not exactly sure where, but uh, I hope they're keeping the rain off someone's roof. And it's very popular with British users, this, isn't it? We've got the most free cycle users anywhere in the world, in the UK. The, the take-up here has been phenomenal. But over the last few years, there have been some differences of opinion between the US site, which founded by Darren Beale, and UK Free Cycle, which is registered as a charity here. Now, some of the British people on UK Free Cycle, some of the uh, executives, directors, say they've had um, any policy initiatives they've come up with rebuffed or ignored um, by Darren Beale and the Free Cycle Network, who run it in the States. They say that, for example, they wanted to send Free Cycle volunteers to tips with laptops to persuade people to recycle, to free cycle, Um, the things they no longer needed to keep them out of landfill, um, and that they wanted one moderator from a local group to be allowed to look after another moderator's group if one of them went on holiday. They say every time they tried to come up with an idea like this and put it to the American management, they were told they weren't interested and there was a company way of doing things and that had to be adhered to all the time. And they're so upset at this that they've gone off and formed a separate group. That's right. About three weeks ago, um, a new group came into being overnight called Freegal, not entirely similar to FreeCycle, um, and it's attracted um, nearly a million members who've uh, overnight left FreeCycle because they were on Yahoo groups and found themselves signed up to Freegal. Some of the uh, members from Freegal are going back gradually to um, FreeCycle where they were before, but there's, there's two different camps now. What do the American founders say? They say that it's a bit strange to be banding around words like undemocratic when um, they didn't let UK Free Cycle members who found themselves suddenly tipped into a freegal group the next day to vote on whether they wanted to move because it was the Yahoo group owners and moderators who defected from UK Free Cycle to Freegal, who took all these people with them. So people went to bed one night, they were with UK Free Cycle, the next day they were with Freegal. So Darren Beale says, you know, that's that's not a democratic way of, of running things. How can they level accusations of uh, not being democratic at us when they behave like that? Now the two groups are in direct competition with each other. They are indeed in direct competition, but it's quite hard. Although there are some figures knocking around, um, I think... There are 494 UK free cycle groups with a total of round about 1.8 million members. And that compares with 200 freegal groups with round about 916,000 members. It's hard to tell exactly who's with which group because there is an overlap. Free cycle has for the last few years been 
the number one brand, as it were. It's, it's been trusted. It's worked very well for a lot of people. Um, and it does have a credibility. And I think people will carry on with that. By the same token, those who were very active in the UK free cycle movement, for whatever reason, found it wasn't providing to their needs, they'll, they'll have gone to Friegel. So in a way, you know, the model that started in the States is evolving. Uh, different groups are springing up. It's good for democratisation of the web and of, and of recycling, I suppose. Sam Jones. Hugo Chavez, the Venezuelan president, has been accused of behaving like a tyrant by the man who helped restore democracy after a military coup in 2002. General Raul Badwell, a former defence minister, is now in jail, accused of corruption. Badwell is one of a growing list of political opponents to suffer a similar fate. The Guardian's Rory Carroll is in Caracas. Um, several political leaders and opposition leaders um, have been charged with corruption charges or have been charged um, with public disorder related to their participation in, in demonstrations and rallies. So several of them have been jailed. Uh, so G- General Raul Badwell is part of a, of a, of a growing band of, of those. Um, some others um, have actually done a bunk. They've gone into exile, especially Manuel Rosales, who was Chavez's rival presidential candidate candidate in the last elections. He's now in Lima, in Peru, where there's now a little hub of Venezuelan exiles. Um, There's about half a dozen of them there. Now, of course, the Venezuelan government says that these people are actually their criminals and they have uh, committed uh, acts of corruption and that they have now fled justice. So, as ever, there are two versions to this. But uh, some people who are sympathetic towards Chavez or have been uh, sympathetic in the past from outside Venezuela, people like the former US President Jimmy Carter, have also expressed concern about the uh, drift towards authoritarianism. That's right. There is a a growing trend of of analysts uh, who feel that um, there's been a whole series of events in Venezuela over the last 12 months which adds up to an, an authoritarian drift. Uh, Jimmy Carter has, has said this, uh, Human Rights Watch told me the same thing, and uh, European diplomats uh, here in Caracas are uh, saying that what they used to refer to Venezuela as, a, as an imperfect democracy, they're now calling it an authoritarian regime with democratic characteristics. And uh, one has to add that those d- democratic characteristics characteristics are very well pronounced. Uh, Chavez is still very popular after almost 11 years in power and that in itself is an extraordinary achievement. Um, and he does an electoral mandate. Um, this man has gone to the polls in, through referendums and local and national elections almost every year and he's won almost every single one of those. So he, he's still popular, still has an electoral mandate but there is this drift which analysts are quite concerned about. So we have political opponents now being jailed or else um, being blacklisted uh, from running from for office on the grounds that they've uh, alleged have committed crimes, even if they've not been charged. And there's also been a crackdown on the media. Uh, there are more than 32 radio stations have been shut down, and there have been threats against the last outspoken opposition TV station, Globovision. And also the, the central government has usurped the powers of opposition-run municipalities. Uh, for example, the opposition mayor of Caracas has basically been disempowered um, by Chavez has appointed a, a new uh, chief over him. So if you can imagine Gordon Brown, for example, appointing Peter Mandelson as a new super uh, mayor of London and basically kneecapping the political powers of Boris Johnson, that's what's happened in Caracas. Rory Carroll. Guardian Daily. 
News and reports from around the world. Polish artist Miroslav Balka is the tenth artist to fill the cavernous Turbine Hall in London's Tate Modern. Bruce Nauman, Juan Munoz and Rachel Whiteread are among the artists who've won previous Unilever commissions. The Guardian's arts correspondent Mark Brown describes the latest installation. You walk down into the Turbine Hall, walk to the very end, and then what you're confronted with is... It's almost like an enormous sea container. And what you do, you walk up a ramp, you get to the edge of this sea container, and you're confronted by this black void, effectively. And so what you do, if you want, is you walk into this sea container, you walk into this black void, and of course you can't see anything. I mean, it's very unsettling, it's very disorientating. And what's the Polish artist Miroslav Balka trying to do with this? Well, I think he's trying to... It's almost like we're on a threshold, so we've got to decide whether we want to step into this void. He's not trying to tell us how to think. He's saying to us, step into this void and think whatever you want to think. So, I mean, people have already had uh, different experiences. I mean, some people kind of think of human trafficking, I think, when they step into it. But each individual will have a different experience, I think. And, I mean, just tell us a bit about his previous work, because he's been inspired to make work in the past about the Holocaust. He has, and, and, and Balka is kind of one of those people who should be better than known than he really is, I think. I mean, people who are reasonably well-versed in contemporary art, um, you know, people much like yourself, John, <coughs> will, will probably have heard, have heard of him. And he does kind of produce very challenging work and a lot of it is interactive so we're invited to walk into the pieces he's written but this is by far the biggest piece he's done. I mean filling this space this huge space in the turbine hall I mean an enormous challenge in every sense I suppose for an artist especially bearing in mind the the things that we've seen there over the last 10 years. Well exactly and I mean don't you think though it has proved to be one of the sort of most successful sort of public art commissions, I think, that, that, that there is in the UK. And you, so what you've had, you've had Louise Bourgeois with her giant spider 10 years ago, and then there's been Rachel Whiteread. If you remember, she had these 14,000 cardboard boxes, which she created. Uh, that was my least favourite, I think. Of the, of oh, I enjoyed them. it. I thought that was yeah. fantastic, just going <coughs> through the boxes. <laughs> And then there my, my was... ten-year-old ran to the end of the of the Tate Modern uh, of the Turbine Hall and just came back and looking with a crestfallen and said, "It's just more boxes." Really? <laughs> yeah. No, I, you, you need I to take the, your ten-year-old uh, yeah. out and, and <laughs> explain a few things about modern art. I <laughs> I mean, still a lot of people's favourite is is um, Oliver Eliasson's The Weather Project, which oh, was, yeah. if you remember, which was a huge sun and people just went and they lay on the floor and looked up and just contemplated life, I suspect. And how does this one by Miroslav Balka match up to these previous... Uh... Oh, I think definitely it's one of the strongest. I mean, it, it, it's kind of um, moving. And Balka wants people, or hopes that people, will go back and kind of enter the space and contemplate things, life, the universe, etc. Uh, and I think they might. I think people will go back um, again and again. Mark, many thanks. Today's edition of Guardian Daily was produced by Phil Maynard and Tim Maybe. I'm John Dennis. Thanks for listening.